0: Over the last little while, the Lord has been working in our lives to accomplish, uh, His will in different ways. So I'm going to take a few minutes this morning or this afternoon at this point and just share with you what I believe the Lord is working in our lives to accomplish. Throughout history, throughout our own history, The Lord has been gracious to guide us through situations where we could have chosen one way or the other. Sometimes we've made the right choice and we've seen the glory of the Lord work its way in our lives. Sometimes we made the wrong choice and we have seen the grace and the glory of the Lord work its way through our lives still. It takes us longer when we make the wrong choice. The consequences to our behavior, to our actions, to our thoughts, to our words. But no matter what, the goodness of God permeates and covers us all throughout our life journey. In my life personally, I have experienced situations where there's been judgments that I've made against others. Thoughts in my mind, attitudes in my heart that have caused me to feel and to think a certain way about a certain person or a certain situation. Whether that situation is assessed correctly by me or whether that situation is assessed by me based on my own lens and my own perspective. My judgment of that situation and of that person has left something in my heart that has made me feel not a hundred percent. And what I'm sharing with you comes from a perspective that is in scripture. So I'm going to share a few verses with you, and I'm going to share a few uh, ideas that the Lord opens up for us in Scripture. So let me do that real quick as we sort of look at that. The, the idea of feeling not 100%, the Bible talks about in different ways. One of the ways that the Bible talks about it is in the idea or the concept of defilement. What does that word mean? It's a big word for some of us. To be defiled, even if we break down the word, one way of hearing it is to be filed out of your right place. So if you think of defilement as being removed from the right place or the right order, you know, when you're in a file, you have files that are in your filing cabinet. Each of them has to be in the right place. So defilement sort of removes you from the order of where you're supposed to be. It shifts you from the right position to a wrong position. That's one simple way to look at it. But defilement really, in other languages, the word is unclean, unholy, uh, in other ways we can look at it, it just makes you feel slimy or dirty or, you know, you've been in situations where you see something or you hear something. Some of us work in places or in professions where we see a lot than what the general population sees and that defiles us. That makes us un- 100%, not 100%. That makes us feel that we have stepped into something and we've been slimed by something. Uh, some of you, I, you know, I don't want to get into details of what professions may experience that, but some of us, more than others, get defiled by these things. In my role as pastor, sometimes I sit in conversations with certain people and they share things with me. And after the conversation, we both feel very clean because the Lord steps into it and we deal with it, but in the midst of the conversation, The sharing of guilt, the sharing of sin, the sharing of brokenness leaves us somewhat feeling slimed. Unless the glory of God and the mercy of God is claimed, we will walk away that way. You know, it's, it's, if you share your sin with me, but I don't lead you to where your sin can be cleansed and you can be restored, I'm leaving you in that sin, but I've listened to it, and likewise I now share in that guilt, not guilt, but share in that effect of hearing that sin, and we both walk away feeling not a 100%. And that's what gossip does. That's what accusations do. That's what judgment does. You know, you hear a story, and you start forming your own opinion about the rightness and the wrongness of the people within that story. It goes down nice when you begin to analyze it and talk about it together. The Bible says that gossip is like a morsel that is sweet going down, but later it makes your stomach sour. And that's what gossip does. When we hear gossip, when we take part in gossip, when we condemn people, it feels good. You know, because we elevate ourselves as above them that we can look down at their action and say, look at how weak they are. Look at how dirty they are. But in that very action, there's a defilement, there's a dirtiness and uncleanness that happens to our soul. The book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, is it's a beautiful book. If you've never read the... Book of Zechariah, I suggest you take some time this week and read through it. It's probably gonna get very confusing. Cause it's made up of a number of different visions that Zechariah has in one night. And I hear from many of you that you've had dreams and you write them down and you send them in and we discuss them and we pray about them. But this man, Zechariah, was one of what we call the minor prophets. And in his journey, the Lord one night gave him a ton of visions. And this is probably the one out of all of the prophets that is the most about Jesus. All the other prophets talk a lot about restoration of the nation of Israel. But this one is so much focused on the messianic revelation of Jesus when he comes as the fulfillment or the the answer to the redemption of the nation of Israel and humanity. It's beautiful. It's quoted many times in in the New Testament. But in this book, one of the visions in chapter 3 is of the high priest, Joshua. And this is not the Joshua of the book of Joshua, the disciple of Moses who took Israel into Canaan. This is a different Joshua. This is the Joshua that was the high priest at the time that Israel was coming back from Babylon and Persia, back into its homeland. This Joshua was the high priest, and he's standing before the court of the Lord, and the enemy, Satan, is standing there, pointing the finger, and accusing him of having garments that are dirty. It's a picture in words, a picture in the vision, that speaks of the dirtiness of our sinfulness, in the presence of God. But that's not the the problem in this picture. The problem is that that scene, that fact of the dirtiness of our life in the presence of God was actually being judged and being brought as an accusation to God by Satan. And this is the part I want to focus on. And God, the Lord, rebukes Satan and restores clean clothes to Joshua. The accuser, this is the name that the Bible gives Satan, the accuser, he comes to accuse us. We often talk about what the scripture calls him. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in this day and age, he has found the strategy of accusation to be even more effective than killing, killing, stealing, and destroying. And he has managed to enter that concept, or that behavior, or that heart posture into the church. And there is so much accusation that goes on in the church, one against the other, that it is actually working internally like a cancer to cause us, the body of Christ, to begin to accuse one another. And in the accusation, maybe the accusation is based on some kind of concept of truth. Because if we look at each other's lives close enough, I guarantee you we will find stuff that is not a 100%. In each of us. You probably think um, doing okay, but come and talk to my wife and my kids and they'll tell you a little bit more about the blemishes and the dirt that's on my garments. And the same would be true for all of us. Each of us, as we look at our own lives, or the closest to us, look at our lives, they can very quickly see the things that are not 100% in our lives. But we must guard our hearts against this posture of accusation. We must guard our hearts against this uh, posture of judgment. Because judgment in itself brings dirtiness, uncleanness. Judgment in itself brings the, the whole thing that goes into our body, like it goes down sweet, but it becomes bitter. Earlier I said it becomes uh, sour. It becomes bitter in our stomachs. So when Joshua is standing there, the enemy is accusing him to God and God is turning around and saying, remove his clothes, put on clean clothes, he is clean. And the scripture goes on to describe some of the dialogue between God and and Joshua, the angel and Joshua. Within all of this, it, it sets a platform for us to begin to understand how God sees accusation. Because He rebuked the enemy. He told him that he is unfit to stand there. He is not well. He is he's just wicked. And that wickedness cannot become part of our life and our experience. The proverbs give us scriptures to help us understand how God sees this kind of thing. It says that the one who justifies the wicked, in Proverbs 17:15, the one who justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous, and both of these are an ab- alike and are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination defiles, an abomination makes you feel slimy, an abomination makes you feel unwell. So both a person that is wicked, or justifies the wicked rather, and a person who condemns the righteous, what is that saying? It's saying that whoever makes a false judgment, well I don't know about you, but I know that I don't always, never, I never know all the facts. I only know a piece of the story, the piece that I have experienced and piece that I have heard or the piece that I have felt. So no matter what happens in the circumstances around me, even with the closest people, the ones I live with, I only know half, not even maybe half, a portion of the story. So I can't make in my mind or in my heart a position to evaluate Maybe that's an easier word to accept because judgment seems so harsh. When we tell each other, don't judge, it all of a sudden causes our hearts to get angry against one another. Maybe forget judging. Evaluating. When we begin to evaluate a situation, and some of you may come back and say, well, we're called to evaluate situations. Yes, we are. We're called to find the good in situations. Yes, we are. But when it turns our heart against the person and it causes us to feel superior and them inferior. It causes us to look at them and say, look at their garments, they're not clean. That's what I'm talking about. You can evaluate the situation all you want. You can call good, good and evil, evil all you want. But when that brings you to the place that you begin to judge the other person or evaluate the other person as lesser than you, that's when we get into problems. Because what happened with Joshua happened in my life. Satan can stand in front of God and point the finger and say that this man is unclean and he would be right. And the same would happen in your life. God can have you standing in front of him, Satan can stand and point the finger at you and say, Look God, he's unclean, she's unclean, and Satan would be right. So the mercy of God that has removed my shame, that has removed my guilt, that has taken sin out of my heart and replaced it with His presence and his, his Spirit, that same grace applies to you, to me, to everyone on the planet, and it's the way God sees people. He doesn't see them as dirty and accused by Satan. He loved each person so much that He gave His one Son for all humanity. So that whoever believes would have their garments exchanged and stand there clean before God. I have no right to judge them. I have no right to judge you. I have no right to evaluate you as guilty before God. You, you know, you may react to this and say, you're opening the door to a lot of license for people to sin. No, actually I'm not. I'm inviting us to step up. I'm inviting us to step into a place where what Jesus talked about in in Matthew 15 becomes our experience. In Matthew 15, he called the crowd to himself in verse 10 and said to them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Later on in that passage, he goes, don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth enters into the stomach and goes out into the sewer. Whether it's kosher or unkosher, he was trying to tell them something that he later opened up to Peter in Acts. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And it is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, fornication, Theft. And we have, you know, our filters are so attuned to these things. Murder? Yeah, we we can judge murder. Yeah, that's evil. Adultery? Yeah, that's improper. You don't do that. That's evil. Fornication? Yeah, that's evil. Theft? Yeah, that's evil. But look at what's next. False witness... And slander. Yeah, we recognize false witness as something that you should not do. It's evil. If you stand in court and testify against someone wrongly, you can be condemning them to death or whatever. And that's evil. But he says slander. Slander, Jesus calls, equal to adultery and fornication and murder. But even at the beginning, he says evil intentions. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus is making very clear here that what happens in our heart, how we evaluate things in our heart, what judgments we place one against the other in our heart are what determines how clean we stand before God. It defiles us. His mercy covers us. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that when we, in my life, have experienced the glory of God when I've made good choices, and the grace of God, and again, the glory of God when I've made bad choices. We're coming to the place where the Lord is asking us to step up. To step up into a new dimension of how we walk together, how we function together, how we walk with the world that we're in, how we function within that world. He's asking us to stop the judgments. Actually, he's asking us to go a lot further than that. In Matthew chapter 5, in the sermon, we call the Sermon on the Mount. which Some people call it the constitution of the kingdom. The foundation of what the principles of the kingdom are. Jesus spoke these words and he says, You have heard it it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strike you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, also go the second. Later he adds, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In the last days, the scripture tells us that it will be brother against brother and sister against sister. The Lord is looking for a company today and in the days to come that will love unconditionally as he loves unconditionally. That will not place judgment, preference ahead of love. Here he talks about the word enemy. I think we all understand the word enemy. We understand that it's someone that is not within our camp. It's someone who is against us. The word enemy actually comes from the Latin word, and the Latin word is inimicus And it's actually made up of the two parts, two Latin words, in, which is not, amicus, which is friend. So an enemy basically is someone who is not a friend. We have very few friends, and we have very much fewer best friends. Everybody else is not a friend. And in the Latin, that means animicus, enemy. They hurt me too much. I don't want to maintain a relationship with them anymore. I have to protect myself. Yeah, you do. But Jesus said you have to love them. They're no longer my friends. Yeah. And it's easy today. On Facebook, it's really easy. You click and that person no longer becomes your friend. You unfriend them because they have said things that are a little bit acidic, things that are a little bit offensive. You're not thinking the same way anymore. But the Bible, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, love your enemies. So that ye may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? We're big on family here. We celebrate the family of God at City River. We celebrate the family of God across the globe. But he's asking us to step outside of that comfort zone and love those who are different than us. This week, look for opportunities that the Lord is bringing people that are not friends into your life and opening the door for you to not judge them based on what you hear or see or even feel, but to love them as He loves them and see them as He sees them and feel about them as He feels about them. It's challenging. It's challenging to not see silly things, evil things that flow out of the heart when we evaluate government, when we evaluate our government leaders. It's easy to take shots at government. It's easy to take shots at neighbors. It's easy to take shots at home sometimes against one another. But the Lord is asking us to step up into a new dimension into a new place where we begin to function as he functions. Actually, it ends that passage in chapter 5 of Matthew by saying the words, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is also perfect. Let me leave you with that and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We just ask, Lord, that in our experience, in our, in our walk, you bring us into situations where we can actually step up And be like Jesus. Jesus never condemned any of the sinners that he came across. He loved them. He opened his heart to them. He opened his arms to them. And he brought them into an encounter with his Father through his mercy and through his kindness and through his love. Imprint us with that character. Allow us to experience your goodness and your faithfulness. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you. And we pray this in your son's Jesus name. Amen.